no, 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 no. Good morning, good afternoon, evening, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to the podcast. Welcome to A Little Impolite. I'm your host, Devo, and I'm excited you're here today. I know you have choices when it comes to podcasts, since there's like several million of them out there now or something like that. Um, I'd like to say we've been around here for a few years before the podcast market went bonkers, so I'm excited to be a bit ahead of the curve on, on that aspect. I use the podcast to invite lesser-known entrepreneurial juggernauts that I meet either through social media or I'm following in, in various capacities who are really serious about their brand and the impact that they're having on the world. And I use the platform as a storytelling podcast, with you, if you will, um, with a focus on how and what and why some of these amazing entrepreneurs that I bring on are doing what they do, how they do it, and the impact that they want to leave on the world. Because at the end of the day, isn't that the whole point? What impact are we leaving for others? It's all about serving other people and finding ways to make this a better planet. And we use storytelling to do that, to talk about our brands. We can use it to educate and entertain and inspire people. And when done really, really well, a story can transport us to a completely another time and place and teach us really important lessons about life and the human condition. So it's really important to me to seek out and share the stories of brilliant people who are doing brilliant things and using their superpower for, for better causes. And by hearing their stories, we can learn about their trials and their triumphs and gain really intelligent insights in, into the ways that they have achieved the things that they are doing and in, and in turn teach us how to, to do the same thing and share our stories because really at the end of the day, it's, it's the stories that connect us as a human race. So let's get to the story today. Um, my, my guest today is shaking up the status quo. He's challenging traditional thinking in terms of entrepreneurial formats. He's the founder of a successful startup that's making waves in a really age-old and, and titanic industry. Uh, when he started his company, he had a very clear vision for what he wanted to achieve and why he was doing it. And a really short period of time, which sort of is like, there's a lot of stuff I'm hoping to learn from him because he's not that old. He's younger than me, and he's done a shit ton of stuff in a short amount of time. So I was like, I have a pretty good life, but sometimes when I look at some of these entrepreneurs that come on the show, I'm like, dude, you need to pull up because they are doing way more than you are right now. So I'm really hoping to, that he'll share some insights on that. Um, he's built a really loyal following of customers. Um, he's He originates from Canada, but he's now broken into the American market. And he's built a... Uh, a, a loyal following of raving fans. If you check out his social media, he's very unapologetic about what he says and what he does and how he does it and very, very transparent and vulnerable, which is a rarity. And I think um, it's interesting. We should do a separate podcast on this because true authenticity and true transparency and true vulnerability are really a rarity uh, among the human race. But you see a lot of copycat people trying to do that now on social media. And sometimes it comes across as, well, it just comes across as contrived. And when I watch his channel and I listen to some of the stuff he's doing, it's very real. It's very raw. And I was like, man, he'd make a perfect guest on The Little Impolite. So really excited about that. Um, I'm really excited to bring Jake Carls in. And let me just find him here. Jake, welcome to the show. How are you, man? <laughs> Dude, Sorry I for that. I just listened to that whole thing and I, I'm so amped up by that because um, I don't know. It's just you, you elevate people, man. Like you, you go out there and you literally just you're spreading positivity and you're, you're, you know, in the world where we have a lot of inauthenticity and a lot of, you know, my opinion, negativity, you know, when you hear someone just being genuine and wanting to uplift, it really fires me up. And, and yeah, I'm going to go do that to somebody today because of what you did for me. I love it. 
we're going to fire it up. So I'm excited to be here. Um, anything's on the table. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about everything. And uh, yeah, chocolate is a Titanic and very old age industry for me, you know? So that's what I want to hear about. So you're in the chocolate industry, but it's sort of like a hybrid between health, healthy eating and chocolate, which are, you know, age old vestiges right now. Everyone loves chocolate. I mean, I'm a dark chocolate connoisseur. Um, by the way, I had never got my package from y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had to stop shipping to the U.S. till this month, actually, because we were just fixing our supply chain. So we shut off all shipments to the U.S. other than retailers. So all of our stores were all stocked like Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, you know, the whole nine yards. But all of our actual shipments for individuals had to go had to be paused. But that's starting back this month, which is really exciting. So I totally could. I totally could have gone over and bought some stuff. But I just my inner diva was like, just let them bring it to me. It's going to come. It's coming. I promise it's coming. Just, I'm just yeah. talking to you. No, it is. It is. But <laughs> no, dude, the industry is old. And, you know, for us, when we started and just to give people some, some, some like context on the business is, you know, my, it's a family business, me, my brother-in-law, my sister, but we didn't go into business because we're family. And that's really important. We went because we complement each other's skill sets and, and we believe we're the greatest tripod for our industry. But that being said, we knew that chocolate the dark chocolate world was growing tremendously year over year. We had some data points on it. It was growing like 40 plus percent year over year. And that vegan protein, so plant-based proteins, were also on a tear at 30% year over year. My sister had been making a snack for my brother-in-law to satisfy his chocolate cravings in the afternoon in a better for you format for many years. So it's been it's been a homemade snack in their house for since like 2016. And then two years later, 2018, they decided to build this product as a commercial product because they got that data point from a report. And it's like, oh, my God, you're making a baby of these two massive growth categories, a functional chocolate bar. And that's when they came to me and they're like, hey, we need someone to build this brand. And the first thing I said to them was this industry is archaic. The grocery store is boring. Typically, if you go down the aisles, it feels like a bunch of commodities that are just whatever price point they are, and we're eating them for the sake of function and taste. Nothing, there felt that there was no brand emotion or brand connection or brand equity. And that's when I said to them, I said, oh my God, what if we took the idea of storytelling from the greatest industry in terms of storytelling in the world is the entertainment world and applied it to the consumer world. And basically, instead of you buying a chocolate bar on the shelf as a, as a commodity, you're now buying into this beautiful brand that you really feel connected to and on top of that, you love the product because it's a good tasting and a good quality product. And that's what we did. And we launched August 4th, 2018, Midday Squares. Which is a really funny point. And I, don't, I want to work backwards into some key things I heard you say. People don't buy your product, do they? They buy why or how or what it is that you're saying about your product and, and what you've put into it and your story behind it. You know, your story is very authentic around it's centered around family. And I want to go back to that first piece because um, starting a business with a family, I, I'm one of 12 kids. I have 11 brothers and sisters. And I don't know that I could go into business with my siblings. No offense, peoples. I just don't know that I could. And, and I, I have you know, a very successful family. They've all gone on to do really good things. They're all like type A CEOs. So that's like putting a family of 12 CEOs together to run one business. And I think there would just be like conflict. So how do you as a family, this tripod that you talked about, does everybody sort of stay in their lane? Does everybody complement each other? Like, how does that dynamic play itself out? So we each, first off, we each have different skill sets. We're all type A's. So it's similar to what you're, you're saying with your family. So we're all very intense characters. Now, when we joined as partners, August 4th, 2018, 
the idea was dude that's not very old 2018 like that's what i was saying sorry to interrupt but that like what you've done in four short years is bonkers brilliance man sorry keep going i don't know i appreciate you so yeah four years ago we had two contracts the first one was the shareholders agreement the second one was we we signed off that we would see a business therapist so a psychologist once a week mandatory in good or bad times together to work on our communication to have a safe place to have hard conversations and to work on making sure that our family relationship is as strong or if not stronger as we go through this journey and now we go one to three times a week so think about that so we're, we're utilizing it as a tool to make sure that our partnership is so strong and our family relationship is so strong that whatever happens whether we fail or we build a billion dollar business together we are so we have such a powerful relationship and and a stronghold on it and i i would tell you that you know as as the, as the one that was opposed to it at the beginning I was really like of the, I was of the likes, I don't need therapy. I'm happy. I don't, I don't need this stuff. I was in a fraternity. I was in high competitive sports before this. And, you know, I was like, I'm the happiest guy in the world. And they said, well, you could, you don't need to join this company as the third partner. If you don't, if you don't sign this document, you don't need to join. It's okay. We love you still. But if you want to join and you want to be part of this journey, you must go to therapy. And the reason why we chose therapy is because if you look at the stats of why most startups are or, or yeah, or startup companies fail is not because of capital. It's not because of product market fit. It's actually because of founder conflicts. It's personal relationship conflicts that end up breaking the entire company. So for us, we wanted to be very proactive rather than reactive on it. And, and that's the, that's the main takeaway I took from that is that most people wait till after the eight ball, they get behind the storm when they seek out therapy and they're and being proactive about it. And I've, I've often said, you know, like I used to shoot a lot of weddings. I don't photograph a lot of weddings many anymore, but one of the things that I was really noticing early on is that, especially for my own marriage, cause it failed is that we should have done before we got married and then consistently throughout it, before the conflict arose, we should have gone into some sort of capacity to seek outside counsel for us, right? It's like, why is it any different than your business? You surround yourself with with quality, more intelligent people. You sort of become who they are. So why would you not surround yourself in some of the most critical parts of your life, your marriage, your business with therapy? Why were you, sorry, but why were you against it so much? Was it just because you were young and didn't really have the experience yeah. around that sort of thing or I, I was immature i was 25 at the time um i was i came off like i said being a very competitive athlete you know in that world of like sports and i was also in the world of like the fraternity mm. and i was just like i thought i was happy i thought i didn't need i thought i was i honestly honestly with you and i thought I, I thought i was killing it and i thought like why do i need to have this help in quotations um and now i'm the largest i'm one of the largest advocates for it here i i really I, I, I tell, I don't tell people what to do, but I, I, I tell people my experience and how it's helped me and how it's been the one thing to save a, my business, but also my personal growth as an individual. And, um, but I always tell people it's okay to not believe in something first and then switch your opinion, um, as you experience it. But I'll never forget when, when we start the first session, I decided to commit to it because I trusted my partners and I wanted this to work. So I committed, even though I disagreed with it. And I think Jeff Bezos, um, from Amazon, um, he, he always had this thing, you know, you got to know how to agree to disagree and, but commit when you do that. That whole commitment piece is big. I was actually having a conversation yesterday. I'm reading this really cool book called the second mountain. And he talks about, um, in your second mountain, you sort of, your first mountain is what you just talked about. You thought you were successful. You thought you were killing it. 
and, and I have a similar paradigm in my space with that. But it's funny looking back now at 40 something years old to what I thought was mattered at 20 and where I was killing it. Like those were meaningless things that I was doing back then buying big things, having big things, all that were just sort of showy, right? So being able to commit to something is really critical, right? Because once you kind of get Pat his, in his theory, his, his book, he talks about the second mountain, is that you no longer care about the things that you thought once were success metrics, right? Big houses, big paychecks. And those things still have importance to you if you have value around them because they help you do bigger and better things. But in your second mountain, you're sort of committed to something bigger and better, about serving the world or serving others. So how does the company in that space do, because I know you're involved in a lot of philanthropic activities. How do you guys as a company, Midday Squares, give back to the community and, and help serve others? So I think our biggest thing giving back is obviously, you know, one thing we do make better for you products for people that can actually have a chocolate indulgence, but also have the cleaner ingredients, the real foods that won't necessarily affect your, you know, isn't bad for your health. So we're using real foods. It's a big difference than having typical chocolate, right? So that's number one. But number two, most importantly, our purpose was to show everybody that you can win in life, whatever you do, whether you're a pilot, whether you're a janitor, whether you own a chocolate company, whether you own a you know photography company, by being unapologetically yourself every day and not going where the herd is. So that is what our purpose is, to show everybody you could be bold, you could be yourself, and you could still win in life. You don't have to go in the box. You don't have to be follow what society, in quotations, tells you to do. And, you know, at, at first it was very painful. You're misunderstood. You know, people doubt you. You know, you're, they think you're crazy. Um, you know, when I told people, you know, I started a chocolate company, I'll never forget my investment banking good friend of mine who was in San Francisco at the time. He called me. He's like, what are you up to nowadays? And I'm like, dude, just started a chocolate company. I'm fired up. I'm energized. It was like we just started like three weeks in. And uh, he goes, no, dude, what's your day job, bro? And I'm like, I'm like, I just told you. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, you, are you, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, and it hurt, but I ended up sending him a box of bars and he changed his opinion on it. But it wasn't the, it, the idea is that if I could show people that if you stay true to you and you really believe in yourself, you do get a chance to win. It's your best chance. I'm not going to say you're guaranteed, but you're a guaranteed an outlier decision rather than an average or mean, you know, being mediocre. So that's really the purpose of Midday Squares is we're showing that we're being really real, transparent, vulnerable. You know, we're showing what, Typical brands or companies don't show, um, and that authenticity is what's really creating this fandom, which is actually creating this this inspiration that's happening. Um, you know, mostly in Canada, but now happening in the U.S., United States for us because we're growing there. But that's really the goal of the company. It's not so much. I always say a billion dollars, but it's not because of the financial aspect. It's the impact of the size. It's like when you hear a billion, you think massive, right? And most people think that a CEO or a founder has to look a certain way and we're just showing the exact opposite that you don't and you you will be rewarded if you stay true to yourself there is no mold right on becoming a successful person individual company brand whatever there is no mold like everybody comes at it differently you said a, little, a second ago um being unapologetic about what you do and being authentic and being real and giving power to and you, to whatever it is you do, and everybody has the potential, you said, to be to be doing something great. What if people aren't clear on their purpose? They're not clear on their passion. They're, they're working a nine-to-five job every day, and they're just sort of stuck in that rat race. How does somebody become an entrepreneur and find their inspiration, their next midday square? Yeah, 100%. Great question. So I think most of the world is poisoned with what you're saying. And what I mean by poison is not like it's not a negative thing, but I think what the where the poison kicks in is if you stay – 
in something you don't want to be doing or be around people you don't want to be around or or do things that make you unhappy. I think, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. You're going to find what you love or who you love or, 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 or what you want to talk about and all that stuff. But I think that you could actively look for inspiration. And I'm not saying motivation. I'm looking for inspiration. So for me, I never read books in my life, right? And I see you have a ton of books behind. I know we have had a conversation about this in the past, but you know, I only started reading that last year, a year and a half. And I started to find love in a lot of things that I never thought I would love. Mm-hmm. And like hobbies, like for example, I started like playing pickleball due to, I was reading something about pickleball and I tried it and guess what? It's my hobby that clears my mind every night. So I think that like, you know, for those who are stuck uh, that are listening to this or watching this, you know, try little things. It could be following someone on social media. It could be following someone that inspires you, that makes you feel bolder, that makes you feel different. It could be reading a book. It could be literally going on a walk. It could be trying something that puts you in an uncomfortable zone. Because when you're in an uncomfortable zone, one thing that will happen is you will experience either something that you've never felt before, which is either winning or losing, but you won't be in the middle. Something will always come out of that uncomfort zone. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of military um, people, you know, they, they step into that zone of discomfort. A lot of athletes step into that zone of discomfort. And like I said, there's no guarantee of success of anything, but there is a guarantee that you will feel something different. You might feel more alive. You might feel like you're winning. You might feel like you're losing, but you won't feel that current state that you're in because it's something that you've never tried. So I always say, look for the uncomfortable, find it, activate it. Even if it's baby steps, don't jump Don't go do something that you completely are scared of doing right off the bat, but slowly inch into it because you'll eventually progress. Because again, if you do the same thing over and over again, every single day, there's zero progression. Typically, if you're stuck in that, you might get stuck for life. And I feel like I always say people are not, they're not, they're living by just breathing rather than living by being alive. Mm. And um, it makes me sad. I like that. I like that piece about um, taking it bit by bit, the small bite-sized chunks of achieving something bigger and better. You know, don't quit your day job if, you, if you've if you never launched anything right away, unless you've got some sort of a trust fund to support that cash. Start doing little things here and there that will eventually build to the idea of you quitting that job, right? Um, because if you take off too much at once, right? I think this is the lesson you're trying to impart. If you try to take on too much at once and you don't hit that in a quick enough time, then you sort of lose heart like I failed. And you just sort of give up that passion, right? Yeah. It's sort of like goal setting. This is a really cool exercise I learned in goal setting. Never say, I want to be the richest this, or I want to have $6 billion in revenue in in six months time. Like it's not, it's not achievable in, in, in my paradigm. So do smaller subsets of that. Like what would eventually add up to $6 billion empire? You know, well, maybe $20,000 weeks or $20,000 months can get to that space. What, like what's more realistically attainable so so i love that point but i want to go to a question to you you said in the outset that your family came to you and said help us build this brand you're young dude man you're a young cat what were you doing up until this point four years ago that a gave you the credibility to do that and b gave them sort of the i guess the curiosity to ask you to be part of that to take on that sort of ownership great question so yeah. So when I, I stayed, I, I love saying this. I went into school um, and I went to college because my parents wanted me to, and I love my parents, you know, to death, but um, they wanted me to be an actuary. They wanted me to get a good investment banking job and, and go out there and, and do that. And I tried it. I really tried. And, you know, it just didn't work out. I, I did horrible. I got bad grades. I was, I felt like I was in a mental prison. Um, and then finally I, I dropped out of that program 
third year in university and I felt freedom finally. And I, I watched Shark Tank um, one night and I'll never forget. Um, I was watching that individual on the screen and, and he was pitching his dream and, and he looked like, even though he was broke, he said he was broke and all this stuff. Um, he looked free. He looked like he was like free at this, like he had a lot of stress, obviously he had kids and all the sacrifices he took, but he, he literally looked like he was in like freedom. And I was like, I need that. I need to try that. That, that looks like he has no bricks, actual bricks on his shoulder, but he's running and he's on like a treadmill. And that's when I decided that I'm going to launch a business. And right after college, when I graduated with economics degree, I, I launched a fitness company because I was very passionate about fitness at the time. And I used Snapchat at the time to tell the story of the fitness. Basically, I would train people for free outside because Montreal, where we live in Canada, it's very cold during the winter. And the summer, as soon as it gets nice, people want to be outside. So I would train these outdoor boot camps outside with like 10 people. Then it turned to 30, then it turned to 50 for free. And I would film it. I'd show everyone having a good time. I would storytell, right? Next thing you know, that led to you know, 70 people. The next thing you know, I, I start charging people. And then I was making $45,000, $40,000 cash a summer. And then I start to invest that into the stock market. And two years in, I ended up losing passion for that business because I, I lost passion for fitness. So I closed it. Even though it was very successful financially, I closed it and I was earning a lot of money. Then I started another business and I basically threw parties on college campuses, again, using Snapchat and Instagram to tell the story of these parties. I'd have thousands of people come to these parties across colleges but yet I tried to make it a business. So I tried to sell clothing after the parties on the campus as a pop-up shop. Again, utilizing storytelling to build community. It was working. But me as an operator, I was horrible. I was absolutely horrible. And I lost 75000 So I closed that business. And then my sister, my brother-in-law said, you are a machine when it comes to building community and storytelling. Look what you did in the past two businesses. You just need an operating engine behind you that will deal with the accounting, the legal, the actual, you know, the, the, the IT stuff, everything has to do with actual structure and process of a business. I needed someone to do, but when it came to making sure the brand had attention, got noise and built fans, I was very good at that naturally. So then when they asked me, they're like, you're going to be the third partner and you're going to just take care of that. You're going to build what you are great at, but with an operating engine. And, um, that's where I joined. So my credibility came from storytelling in previous businesses, failing in one successful in the other, but I was I understood how to get people excited and make them feel something deeply about it. And that's where we talked about being alive. I know how to do that. And that's why I do a lot of speaking gigs now at colleges, at conferences. And I do it not to make money and to do all this stuff. I do it because I actually have a passion to hopefully inspire somebody to go out and try something, whether, whether it's small, does that start a business, try a new job, try, try to play a sport, do a hobby. And hopefully my boldness and my energy can inspire them. And then what that does is eventually they, they, they never forget. Right. And then they, they want to support our brand. They want to be part of it. And that's what I do every day. And, and, and that's where I found happiness and purpose over time. So I wasn't familiar with the, the party story. I knew the other one that you told that, and, and that everything you just said is that bit by bit, right? It's the bit by bit, all those little pieces, those little experiences that you've had you know, the two successful, but then businesses that you closed or you, you called one a failure. I don't really think of things in terms of failure, but lessons learned. Right. Yeah, and, then, and then, and then, and then taking that context and taking all that knowledge and all those experiences. And if you're open to learning and evolving and changing, you can take a look at all those failures and, and reverse engineer those as opportunities for you to learn something new from it. Right. So you are as a, as a tripod, the three of you, you are sort of staying in your lanes and, and, They've taken your brilliance and you're taking their brilliance and you're using it against each other, working with each other to build this sort of, I love the term tripod, but this symbiotic brand 
where everybody focuses on the things they're really good at. And then you support each other on the other side of stuff that is just sort of ancillary to the business. Yeah. So my sister is an unbelievable executor. She built the factory, the chocolate factory here. She did it without any knowledge in food manufacturing. And she, she, she is unbelievable that I trust her with my life for that. My brother-in-law, her husband is an amazing operator. So he's very good with data. He's a software engineer by trade. He loves analytics and he loves to run the company on solely data driven company. And then me, I'm an energy guy. I'm all about community and building brands. So I understand how to utilize social media and storytelling to build fans, right? So when you put these three things together, we don't really cross each other, but when you put them together, they build the company because everyone's staying in their lane. That being said, we do cross over sometimes when we don't, you know, when we have an issue, for example, or a hard conversation we need to have um, regarding each other. And, and that's okay, but that's where our tools of therapy come in and we sit in a conversation and like I said, the business therapist is just on a retainer. You know, obviously that was our biggest investment at the beginning was spending on therapy because we knew if we had that, that would be a time when the red, when we could raise our white flag, or we could raise our red flag, when something's wrong, we can get into a conversation immediately in a safe zone where it was guided. It was guided in the direction where we wanted to get somewhere. Knowing that you want to sit in a therapy room, you know that it, it shows your partners and the people you're talking to that you're committed to get to a solution or that you committed to have the respect to engage and have a conversation, right? And that I always say is, if you don't respect your partners, you're finished. It's done. The company should you should get out of the company, or you should sell it, or you should you should you should step down because respect, trust, and I think that's what respect and trust are the two most important things, and communication are the three most important things in any partnership, including your your partnership in life with your friends and your family and your, 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 you know, your, your significant other. So I think that that's where I think we as a society don't have enough knowledge or information out there um, every day to guide and help people. How many companies are doing something like this in terms of having a proactive therapist? Is this a new standard? Cause this is the first I've ever heard of something like this. So yes, there's a couple, I know um, Shopify does it. So they're a mm -hmm. large company. Um, I know there's some other big companies that do it, some small ones too, but the problem here is it's expensive, right? So there's a cost, but I don't look at it as an expense. It's an investment. And we spend about 50 to 60,000 a year on therapy, but our team now uses it too. Some of our teammates are, are, are some of our VP level to have these hard conversations and bringing them in. Eventually we'd like to have a, similar to the show Billions, have an internal in-house um communications, let's call it communication therapist, you know, whatever that, whatever you want to call it, because we really see the value of, you know, working on things like the idea of wanting to get better, wanting to learn, listen, be empathetic. I'm not saying you could learn to be empathetic, but you could learn how to see things differently or pers give perspective. You could, you could see it like I could see something red, you could see something yellow, right? But if we get into a conversation and we could actually imagine in a safe zone, what your red looks like or what my yellow looks like, mm -hmm. We can understand each other deeper. We can get somewhere. We can work together. You could have very different opinions, but we could still work so strong and be together and united. I think I think the big thing is if you talk about the United States, it's it's getting you guys as a country back together, right? Um, you know, it's it's the same thing in business. It's 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 there's divides and you need to work together. Even if you disagree, it's okay to disagree. But we said it right, commit. Work together to commit, even if you have different opinions. Who cares? It's nice to be individual and have your own opinions. Great. And, and you know what's crazy about that is that context is everything. And you said, you know, you may be, you may interpret something as red, and I may interpret it as blue. 
and it's the dialogue, the communication that's going to en enable me to see your version of blue and vice versa. But that happens all the time, especially in, in marital situations. Um, I'm divorced. Um, relationships, whether it's friends, is, is people come at this from their own context, right? Their own learned experiences, their own prejudices, their own learning, et cetera. And so their interpretation of blue and my interpretation of it are not, never the same. And what happens is because you don't have communication, right? You, you haven't worked on that, on the, on the standards of listening first, for example, that you just, you end up speaking Mandarin to each other. And it's like, I have, there's no, there's no dialogue that actually makes any sense because they refuse to, we refuse to just listen. Well, you know what it is? You said it's so correct. So I have a significant other who I've been I've been dating for four years and she's a wonderful human and been by my side throughout this journey. And last night, literally last night, um, I got some bad some bad news from just like a bit something happened in our business. Someone ended up quitting, for example. And I was just I I, I was angry, right? So that was the, the that was the secondary emotion that was kicking. I had a bit of anxiety, which is probably the first. Um and we got into like an argument because I was just in a bad mood, right? And I and and then I, I, all I was thinking during the process of the, of the discussion or the communication was, how do I rebuttal this? That's all I was thinking mm -hmm. in my mind. And that is poison. That's how we are taught, unfortunately, is just rebuttal, defend yourself. Ego kicks mm -hmm. in. You don't want to be wrong. You don't want to admit fail. You, sorry, not fail. You don't want to admit accountability. And that's when I was like, after it, at the nighttime, after we, we went after an hour of wasting energy of me rebuttaling, mm -hmm. just nonstop to rebuttal for the sake of not listening. I wasn't listening. I was just rebuttaling. Then I realized like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed on how I behaved because it's not right because I preach to people all the time to listen. But yet I was doing what I what I say, the opposite of what I say. And I realized if you don't catch yourself and you don't actively watch yourself when you're in these scenarios, you're just as bad. And what I did was I said after I had the communication, I said, listen, I, I admit it. I, I wasn't listening. And guess what? I wasted hours of my night on a Sunday and a beautiful night just trying to rebuttal and not listen to someone I care about and I respect because I just wanted to be right. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to, I, but I hadn't, but it all came from my moment before the conversation where I was in a mood, right? So if you just, if you, if you listen to your own body and your soul as well, but you also listen to people, you'll be in a way better place. And You'll be less angry, less frustrated, less disappointed. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying you'll be perfect because there's no such thing as perfection. But I could tell you, you'll be, you'll feel a lot better just by listening and not necessarily just blabbing and, and fighting and arguing. Listen, like you said. My grandfather used to tell me when I was a little kid because uh, I, I like to talk. And I, I like to sort of get into not debates, but I like having conversations with people just because I question everything. I always question everything. And my grandfather used to say to me all the time, he's like, Debbie, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen first, talk second. And, I, and I've all, never forgotten that. But it's funny, even today, like in conversations or debates with, um, with your partner, you know, you are, you're always sort of looking like, how am I going to rebut that? How am I going to counter that? And you're right, like after it's all said and done, you not only wasted that hour of the argument, but like the trickle down sort of seeps into like the, like a virus, it sort of seeps into the fabric of your relationship the next day and a couple of days after and it takes that horrible time to recover. Horrible. You're right, just horrible. And then you always feel so embarrassed, like, you know what? She actually did have a good point there. I should probably listen a little bit more. Yeah. And it's like, I was arguing for the sake of arguing, which is the dumbest thing. It's like, I was, I was mad about something previous and I took it out in that scenario. And I just, 
I, I said to myself, I felt like poo after. I literally felt like poo. And then you're right. There's this trickle effect, which people don't talk about. And I think that's a very important point you brought up is, yes, you could solve it and say sorry and all this stuff. And, yeah. you know, but, but how many times till it erodes completely, right? How many times till your business partners, you know, can't look at you anymore or that tension is built up? How many times if you don't take care of it till your relationship's done, you get divorced, you break up? How many times so your family walks away from you? You know, and it's just like, I think that we as a society don't realize the dangers of how fast things can actually happen and how much effect, even if you don't want to tell yourself it affects it, is affecting it. So actively see therapy if you can. Actively try to get better. And don't wait on things. Don't let things build with any relationship. So when you're in these therapy sessions, first of all, how do you find a qualifiable therapist? Did you have to interview a bunch of people? Did you did you actually go through live sessions with some until you found like that? Because that relationship is critical, right? Especially if there's three of you with power dynamics, you know, coming into play and relationship and 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 sibling and rivalries or whatever you have the dynamics you bring as a family, you're now bringing you need a serious relationship expert that can not only vibe but remain proactive and unbiased but also vibe with you three right how do you find someone like that so we were referred by a company uh, an executive team from a big company years ago but this so this so this therapist dr gavin dr james gavin he was seeing my brother-in-law my partner for like nine ten years already and it's because my brother-in-law was in a previous business he had a business where his relationship with his partners wasn't great and they didn't want to see the therapy, but he did because he couldn't handle the relationship. He was very anxious. He was, you know, he had all these things. Um, so he actively saw them. My sister, because my, him and him, him and my sister were best friends, she was going through business troubles and he specializes as a therapist in behavioral, behavioral psychology and partnership communication. So when she started seeing him 10 years ago as well, they started continuing to see him every week. So then when the business came four years ago, they're like, yeah, we need to do this. We can't have, we can't, we cannot. And I rather this business close Devo than, than my relationship end with my sister and my brother-in-law, because I'm so close with them that like, it was pointless. Then the whole thing was pointless. I don't care how, many how much money we make. And I'm a capitalist. I'm a diehard capitalist, but you know, I don't care how much money we make. If we don't talk to each other after this journey, the whole thing didn't make sense. Yeah. So, so when I bought into that, they bought into it 10 years ago and it was working for them. So they he already knew the dynamics, right? He knew them. He just had to get to know me deeper. And I went on my individual sessions every week and we got deep and he has a non-bias. There's no bias, but he does know us very well as individuals and as partners. So he understands how the conversation has to go. And he knows what our mission was since day one. Mission was to keep this family relationship really strong while improving our communication and respect with each other as business partners. It's foundational stuff. So not everyone can afford, you know, you said you have a 50, 60 K uh, budget allocated towards therapy as entrepreneurs. Not everybody can afford, you know, a 50, 60 K line item for therapy. So what are some things that entrepreneurs who don't have those kind of budgets could be doing if they do have partners or even if they don't have partners, could or should be doing proactively to sort of stay ahead of the curve on conflict and communication and being able to handle those standards better. So, yeah, I agree. It's not, you know, it's expensive. And, and like I said, if you can, great, if you can't, hopefully you can get to that and that would be great. But in the meantime, you know, there, there's some great, there's some great books that I feel like, you know, you can get really into in your own world and your mindset and it can help you. Um, there's some great leaders out there that I follow 
um, that give me this inspiration to be bolder, to do things like I've watched their experiences. Because I always say like, when you read a book or you watch someone on social media, that's being authentic, let's call it, um, you're in the mind of what they're thinking, right? And they've been through a lot, like what, just let alone like, knowing that somebody's been through something similar helps, right? So these little tools, these little things, these little clips, these little tip, sound bites, they really help. The second biggest thing is forget about the social media and book aspect is surround yourself with good humans, with people that elevate you that you could trust. A lot of the time people just, you know, surround themselves with, you know, their childhood friends or things that might not be the right case. You know, for me, I don't talk to my childhood friends about any business stuff. They don't even really know what's going on in my business. They see us, you know, hit milestones and all this stuff, but they don't really know what I'm going through, the pain I go through every day, the misery sometimes I experience, the depression I go through. Are you kidding me? I don't feel like I can relate to them on that. I don't. But guess what? I can call somebody up in Southern, you know, in, in Southern United States who I made a relationship with via LinkedIn. We met once or twice, but I feel so connected to that person that I pick up the phone when I'm feeling something and he will tell me, dude, I've been through this before. I've been there. You know, I'm not, and he doesn't tell me what to do, but he, he just comforts me. And that doesn't cost the thing. There's nothing with that cost. It's your time. That's all it is. It's your time to put yourself out there to meet people that can help you get through this journey. And there's also the people that will pull you down, eliminate them from your life. You have to be okay with cutting people. And I don't do it in a cynical, I'm not a cynical person. I'm really not. I'm not a pessimist, but there's some people that drag you down and they may not mean to but they do. And you got to cut them. If that means cutting them for temporary, that's great. If that means cutting them for permanent, it is what it is, but surround yourself with good folks because that doesn't cost money. So it's like, eventually, hopefully you can afford therapy and you could try it. But in the meantime, social media, find leaders that you like books, they're $30 a book, typically on average, 20 to $30 a book, go buy some books that you really believe will actually get you in the mind of some of the, the people you care about autobiographies or even some other stuff. And then the third thing is eventually go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Bad company corrupts good character. It's a quote from the Bible, and I don't know where, where, what chapter, or what it is. Not that I'm a biblical person, but I've always that quote has always resonated with me. And even throughout most of my life, I've always tried to surround myself with good people, people who inspired me and made me a better version of myself. I'm dealing with that right now. With I have two teenage daughters, and you know it's re really stressing that point to them how critical it is that the people you choose to become your inner circle your friends, whether they're boyfriends, girlfriends, for best friends, et cetera, how important it is that you surround yourself with people that are going to make you a better version of yourself, hold you accountable, be your wingman or wing person, authentically be there when you need it. It's really, it's, it's something that can't be understated how important that is. And so I'm, it's amazing that you at such a young age have not, and I don't mean to make light of that, by the way, I'm not making fun of, I'm actually really impressed because you don't meet a lot of people that are, considerably younger that are doing some of the great things you're doing, but most importantly, have the wisdom and sort of the vision to sort of see the the self-awareness side of ourselves that we need that's so important to us, right? So it's really impressive that you've caught on to that. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in, in, in your time on this planet from going through all the different journeys that you've gone through that you're now taking with you into your business to become a more successful version of what you are, you, of what you are each and every day? Two things. Um, the first block out the noise. It's so simple. So put horse blinders on. What I mean by that is there's gonna be a lot of people in your ear. Um, do this, do that. You shouldn't be doing that. You should get a real job. Do that. People are close to you. They may not mean it, like I said, but, or they do mean it. That is, it is what it is, but that will, that will derail you from your, your, what you're supposed to be doing. 
what your gut is telling you to do. So trust your gut, put the horse blinders on, block out the noise and don't yardstick. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like I could tell you like, oh, I want to have that award. I want to be that. Why does that company have this? Why do, why do we not have this? You start doing that. You're going to fall apart. Focus on you, focus on your business, focus on your job and do it the best you can. Second thing is, is, um, the second thing was, I always say, obviously get, step into the uncomfort zone. I think that that, that, that bit by bit will allow you to, um, experience things that you've never experienced. And that will allow you to personally grow. Um, like I said, whether you, you learn something or you win something, it's a win either way. Right. So, yeah, I think those are the two things, um, that, that, that are most important in in my life. And and third thing would be surround yourself with good people. I I really think that that makes the, the difference of, um, the painful journey you might be going on because life is not easy. Life is hard. Um, I don't care what anyone says. It's, it's hard, you know, you, you know, whether you're, you know, you're sad, you're, you're happy. It's still hard. Whether you're on a, you start a company or you're, you're working a job, it's difficult. So you better have people that are in your posse or in your crew that, that, that want to enjoy that journey with you and, and elevate you and not bring you down. Can I add to that, that, that piece, the last one you just said yeah. is surrounding yourself with people that will hold you accountable. I don't think that piece can be stressed enough because you're not looking. I, I don't suspect that you're looking for yes men and women in your life. You don't no. strike me as someone that's looking for somebody to just like, you know, kiss your ass and tell you things are sunny and glory every day, right? You're looking for people to call you on your bullshit. Yeah, and then also just like fire it up, like uh, like you know, like at the end they like call it out, but also like add value. Like you know, I try to add as much values to my friendships as possible. Like you know, I love. I have some friends who are doctors. I don't know. I know nothing about medicine. But what I could tell them is I'm there in their shit times and their heart and their good times, both of them yeah. to just be there pumping them because at the end of the day, like when shit goes wrong, like, you know, like it's, it's part of life, right? You, yeah. you, you know, the, the, the Valley is a beautiful part of the journey and all my friends who are very successful entrepreneurs that have either sold their companies or are doing extremely well, they always say like, or that they've, sorry, most of them that have left the game already, they say they miss the pain. They miss the, uh, the journey of the pain because, you know, once you're out, you know, boredom sometimes could kick in and all that stuff. And that pain is, is a privilege. I always say pain is a privilege because you usually learn something during that deep pain. Um, you know, and, and I, I experience pain literally once a week. Like, like I cry myself to sleep sometimes, I think 25 times already on this journey or 30 times. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of it to be honest with you. Yeah, I love that point that you made about um, surrounding yourself with uh, with accountability, but people who are going to not only just point out things that are critical, but inspire you to improve upon that. Like, don't just tell me what's not working. Tell me what's not working, but show me how we might be able to fix it. Like, be able to come to the table with something. Exactly. So this whole this whole pain piece and this valley piece is a really critical part of our development as humans. And I, you would really enjoy that book I'm reading called The Second Mountain, by the way, because he talks about that, how we go up one mountain, we get to the top. It's like our first half of our life. We kick ass. We take names. We just bowl people over. And then the second half of our life, we get stuck in this valley trying to figure out our purpose and our value stream. And then that's when we begin the ascension into the next one. And he talks about that, the the, the criticality of having pain, because if nothing was if everything was painless, what would be the point of trying to find anything that wasn't painless, right? We would just sort of be living these perfect lives with no drama, nothing to to get in our way to force us to become better versions of ourselves, right? That's sort of the meaning of life, I think, right? Pain is necessary. We as humans evolved through pain. Like DNA, think of our DNA from like hundreds of thousands of years ago. Our evolution they went through pain. I think this year, this world, and I, I'm not cynical. I, I just think that today, 
you know, we avoid pain as humans. Um, we have so many things. You, you're bored. Guess what? Go on your phone. Put go on social media. Um, you know, you're you're you're, you're drink, you're, smoke, yeah, drink. Do the, you have all these things, right? You know, mm -hmm. you, you could avoid pain, right? But what you're really doing is staying in the pain forever. You're staying in a deeper pain. And I think if you use pain as momentum, as energy, as firepower, you evolve and you become the giraffe in a herd of zebras. And in a forest, I always say, I like to think of myself as a giraffe and it's not to be arrogant or confident. It's confidence. It's basically, I think that over time I've, I've gotten this giraffe where I could see above the trees, mm -hmm. I could look left. I could look right. I could look up. I could look down at the zebras, but the zebras, which is the herd is stuck looking just left or right or straight, but in a herd of zebras and just forest around them, they can't see the beauty of everything else. The gorgeousness of uh, what's above the forest, what's around it, what's on the other side. So it's like, yeah, get out of the herd, get out of the herd and, and pain will come becoming the giraffe. And after the pain, you could see, but it's like, I think people just like avoid it. They think that the pain is, 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 is the only thing that's, that that's hurting them, but the pain is really what's going to make them great. Yeah. We, we become, um, we become zebras because we numb ourselves with, with conveniences right and that convenience is is not the pain point that you're talking about so not everybody's made to be a ceo man not everyone's made to to start a company and launch a brand not everybody is made to do that there 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 are a select group of people that that are just sort of kind of happy being in that solid state of inertia nothing really happening what do you say to someone I mean, you, you can't really try to convince people to, to be anything other than what they are at that point. Like it's, you can only just show them by example, this is what I do. This is what, this is how I've done it. This is why I do it. And hopefully they'll latch on. But, that's, that's it. That's the only thing I could say is you got to show by example. You yeah. can't force anybody. Yeah. Um, they'll realize it at one point, you know, the deep sadness will kick in. Um, and at one point they'll realize I've had enough. Um, yeah. Everyone's on their own journey, right? Yeah. And it could happen at 70 years old. It could happen at 100. It could happen at 25. It could happen, you know, for me, I saw it early and, and I saw the idea of finding purpose was really important. Um, so I, I went looking for it. I tried things. I, I ignored the noise out there, the, the, the disbelief, the, the misunderstanding. I was okay with it. Um, I'm not saying it was easy, um, but today, like, honest to God, like, I don't really, I don't have that much, sh like, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, I'm not. I'm a person that's trying to, like you said, I like to say, I read this book from John Carpenter called, sorry, John Gordon called Carpenter, I think. And it said that three things matter, serve, love, and care. And that's why I apply everything. Serve people, love everything, and care about what you're doing or saying. Because yeah. if you do that, you're going you're gonna to advance society. You're going to advance your life. You know, And like I said, you said before, bit by bit, everything's bit by bit. If you could help one person, you've helped. Mm -hmm. You've done your part, you know, and it, it never ends, but it's just like, at least you, you've accomplished. Right. So I think, yeah, there, there's a, I there's a fine line on that third point about caring. There's such a thing as caring too much and getting caught up in the minutia of caring about everything as it pertains to your reputation or what other people think about you. And you do a really good job of not giving an F to borrow the mantra of a, a popular book about a lot of things, but giving an F about some of the things that matter most. How did you sort of step into that self-awareness around that? Because you talk about these sort of things of being authentic and being genuine. You use your social media as a platform to inspire other people to sort of pull back the curtain on who your brand is and, and sort of what Jake Carls represents as, as, as mid and midday squares. How did you get to that point? How did you decide like, 
this is the path I'm going to take. I honestly, with, with good people, um, watching, listening, learning, um, going through like experience wise. Um, that's what it is. It's like, it took, listen, like I said, when I was 25, like, um, I, I thought I was perfect. Like, I swear to you, I was, I had this arrogance, which I can't, I can't stand that I had that, but it is, is who I am at the time. Right mm-hmm. now I I've decided to take on a journey to, to want to learn every day. And the moment I took the want to learn piece on every day, everything changed. Everything changed. I started to become more empathetic. I started to listen to people. I started to read, to learn, to educate myself on topics if I want to talk about them. I started to try things that I've never tried, which is so beautiful. Speaking in front of people, I used to be scared of public speaking. You know, I, I do it all the time now. I don't, it, it makes me, it gives me momentum. And then, you know, you slowly start to realize that life's this game. And if you could break it by doing all this stuff, you're winning. And winning is addicting, right? And that's what it is. It's just like this consistent thing. I wake up and I want to get better. What can I get better at? Whether that's making a customer happier, that's great. Or is it is it that I'm going to go try something today that is so different that I've never done before? That is the beauty of life because I realized you have one, we have one life. We go around the racetrack once. Mm-hmm. So once you realize that and you accept death, in my opinion, accepting it, um, whether that be the death of your business, death of you as a human, um, you can go, you realize that it's so short, you might as well go. You know, what's the point of sitting still or being in the minutiae like you're talking about being just steady? You know, so that's that's what I realized. I realized I have a fire under my ass. Um, and it ain't it could burn out at any point. I could talk to you about a variety of things, and I, I actually want to get to your midday square company and to learn, learn a little bit about the brand and sort of what you're doing. But this accepting death piece that you just talked to, talked about. The other side of that is if you if you're if you're constantly thinking about death or worried about when you're gonna gonna die, it's sort of a, a connotation for me is like you live your life in fear, right? Would you agree with that? Fear is the worst thing. Fear is the absolute worst thing. And right. I lived I lived a large part of my life. I, I would argue that um, I did sort of the routine minutia stuff for the first half of my life. My first my first ascension was went to college, got a job, graduated got a job that, that paid me a lot of money. I turned down some other opportunities that I actually wanted to do because I was inspired by this big check, right? So I, I left some like other thing. I had an opportunity to do some really cool jobs that weren't in, involved in America. They were living abroad. And I was like, I don't think I can handle that. I've never done that. I've never traveled. I've been outside the country before. I'm just going to, you know, and I didn't have mentors. Like my father wasn't, my father wasn't a mentor to me. He, he actually suppressed my, 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 my entire spirit. So I never had anybody that I had taken the time to surround myself with to say like, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with right now. This is my, you know, I didn't have a therapist. I didn't have any communication standards to say, Hey, these are my choices. This is what I really want to do. But I'm like, I just chose the route of fear. And I ended up living in that space for almost 15 years. And I'm just going to say right now, like I learned a shit ton of stuff that I've now taken forward. So it wasn't a failure. Like maybe that was just my journey, right? I just wasn't prepared to be self-aware like you are at this point. But people, if they live their life in fear, it's a, it's an a, a recipe for disaster, isn't it? It's it's fear. Listen, it's okay to be afraid of things. It triggers like you know awareness on something. Like if you're in a dark alley, for example, you know. But like being afraid is different than fear. Fear is is if you are operating out of fear, you are in trouble. Um, you are really you are missing out on life. I can assure you that because you you don't see life the same. You see it so narrow. You don't see. You can't hear anything else. You can't because you're so scared. You're so you won't do something because you're telling your your own self is telling you not to. And when you're not doing it, you're missing out on that potential greatness that you can achieve and you should achieve. 
So let's hear about midday squares because the three of you, the tripod, you and your siblings, clearly did not operate out of a context of fear. You just sort of jumped into this business. You you were planned out. You were strategic about it. You lined up the right people, the right partnerships. Tell us a little bit about the company and and, and what it's doing today and and how this how you launched this brand. How did you become entrepreneurs and decide yeah, so to, to step into this space of chocolate? So we knew chocolate was growing, like I said, and, and the idea was we wanted to build a basically a hybrid between a chocolate bar and a protein bar, but not taste like a protein bar, you know, the junky stuff, you know, mm -hmm. with real food ingredients, dark chocolate, indulgence. And we want it to be your afternoon snack, your 2 p.m. when you get that craving. How can that carry you over and make you feel good till that 5 p.m. or when you go you go home for, for dinner or you go to the gym? And when we launched it, we went to, we you know, we were making the bars in our condo kitchen literally every day, 5 to 5 p.m., 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., we'd make about 80 bars, and then we'd go hand-deliver them to our customers that bought them because we couldn't afford shipping. So we'd meet our customers. And in the meantime, what I realized was storytelling is powerful, and how we're going to separate ourselves in the grocery store compared to all the other 40,000 products was we took the idea of entrepreneurship and we created a reality show on it. So we basically said, let's show the good, the bad, the ugly of building a business, literally document and share everything so the consumer can come along the journey with us and that would make them feel like they know us when they go to the grocery store and see the product. They feel like they're buying from a friend or a neighbor and they're part of that journey, right? And what ended up happening was it started to build hype, energy, momentum. And next thing you know, we started growing and we had to scale out of the condo. So we went to 26 co-manufacturers, which basically in food and beverage, a lot of companies go to a third-party manufacturer to scale their products because they have these facilities that could do it. It's very expensive to build your own facility. And um, 26 then told us, we cannot make your product the way you want it. You, the ingredients choice you're using, the, the type of product you have, it's very artisanal. Um, you have to change it or you have to build your own factory. And we ended up saying, screw it. We're not changing. We're staying true to who we are. We found, we found the money to go build it. We raised money from our government, our, our local government here. And uh, we built a chocolate factory over the last two and a half years here in Montreal. And now we could support up to 90,000 bars per day. And, um, you know, what's it's unique brilliant. about that? Yeah, we're in 4,500 stores, Target, cross Target, all in, we're in the refrigerator. We're in Whole Foods, Sprouts, uh, Wegmans, Fresh Time, Fresh Market um, in the United States. You know, we're also available all over Canada. And uh, we sold over 12 million squares to date, 12 million chocolate bars. And we're a team of over 60 plus amazing folks here in Montreal. We manufacture ourselves. And the key is, is we don't have a marketing team. We are storytellers. So it's creators. What happens is, is we document and share every moment of how we build this business. Therapy, breakdowns, milestones, legal battles financing rounds, you get to see behind the curtain and that authenticity and vulnerability is really building the fandom and relatability at a very high level, which is why our brand's succeeding because we have the product market fit, which again is most important. But the second kicker is that we have the attention of the consumer on TikTok, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, um, soon to have YouTube down the line, but they're watching us in the thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of views because they're like, this is entertaining. This is real. This is no BS. And um, yeah, while making a product that actually tastes good and does the job, um, that's where we've come after four years and hopefully become the next biggest chocolate snacking company. We want to be the new age Hershey. We, wanna, we don't want to be what they make in their products and all that stuff. We want to be the new version of what a chocolate conglomerate should look like if they started in 2022. Are you using companies like Hershey's or anyone else to to sort of establish some of your benchmark philosophies around business, things to do, things not to do? Or do you feel like you just sort of are building this roadmap all on your own, independent of anything else that you've seen? 
No, so definitely not Hershey's. Um, we only say the word Hershey's because it's a sizable company. You know, they've scaled it tremendously over the last yeah. hundred years. But we 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 have great operators from different businesses that advise us and have been there, done that in different industry, different uh, different sectors. As like you know, like hemp. We have a guy named Mike Fado who's he started Manitoba Harvest, built it to you know sold it for half a billion dollars around. He's scaled a business. Um, you know, we brought on this guy Peter Burns. He used to be the CEO of Justin's in one bar. So like we brought on people that have been there and scaled businesses, but the division remains that the three of us created is we, we are building this company the way we truly believe a chocolate company should look like today. Um, that means the way we interact with consumers and that means the way we make products. And it's different. And that naiveness is actually what's allowing us to propel forward and not be stuck in the old ways or stuck in the ways that typically these companies have been stuck in. Do you have any businesses that are that you use as some of the models for some of the stuff that you're doing? Like, do you look towards Amazon's and and, and study some of their stuff, or Target, or any of the companies? That, do you have sort of corporate mentors in your in a sense that you that inspire you? To personally, I I follow um, some people aren't going to like this, but I follow Elon Musk. I like uh -huh. his I like his ways of I think he's brash, but I think he's bold and unapologetic. Um, mm -hmm. I think he. You know, he, he, I'm not saying all his things, but I'm saying he inspires me to be bold and unapologetic. Um, so like, those are ways that we look at things like that. Um, I wouldn't say companies, you know, obviously we have, like I said, we have mentors that are actually working at Pepsi and Coca-Cola internally um, that have scaled their operations and stuff like that. But, you know, for us, like I said, like I look for more books and, you know, a great, a great example is um, uh, the Home Depot story is inspiring to me. The um, story of this man named Hunter Harrison. So he was the, he, they called him the railroader, the railroader, the hall of fame railroader. He basically took all the railroads in both Canada and the United States. And he's, he figured out how to get the highest margin that was seemed way impossible to do. And he did it by being a leader that had the courage to be disliked. And, um, yeah, he was very successful. So I'm not saying that we're building our company like that to be disliked, but we as leaders take inspiration from that, but company culture wise, we're building an environment that is very intense because we want to scale at 50 to 100% year over year, but at the same time, a place where people are unapologetically themselves and having fun. Um, so again, we have people around our corner, but we also um, take little bits from different companies. What, what does it mean to be a leader? What, what is your definition of leadership? Inspire others to make, take action, help people make solutions. And that's not always the most figurehead of a company necessarily. It's you're you're not always the CEO. You don't you don't have to be a CEO to be a leader. You can lead in your own in individual and particular ways, right? One hundred percent. Who are some of the people that you have been inspired by professionally outside of Elon Musk over the last few years that you look towards for inspiration? Authors, uh, leaders, CEOs. Is there anyone in particular? Um, I read I read all of Bernadette Jiwa's books. She I don't know if I pronounced her name right, but she's great for storytelling. Um, I've watched, um, uh, what's the other one there? Um, I read, some people don't love this guy, but I find Peter Thiel, he's a quiet guy, but he, mm -hmm. he's very smart on how he built his businesses. Um, he's analytical, but he's, um, he's bold and, you know, I don't know. I get, I read, I, I read about all these people, these different leaders, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I don't agree with everything they do, but, um, definitely like I, I definitely like where peter Thiel does you know like he he understands how to build um to build things that will actually make differences or impact and whatever that means it could be impact on anything right um but you know he, he just keeps doing it these people just keep going and they don't stop they, they're able to deal with heat what, what's the what's the main message that you want people to take away when they learn about your company and your brand 
be yourself, have fun. And so, how does the how does the chocolate aspect of that and the health aspect of em, embody that? Chocolate's good vibes. It's a love language across the world. You don't have to tell anybody what chocolate is. They smile when they see it typically. Yeah. It's an indulgence, right? So it's good vibes anyways. And then having fun for us is just like, we show everything. We show the good, the moments, the bad moments. You get to see who we as humans are, not necessarily as a transaction or a corporation. You see human. So that's what we're doing. And and uh, yeah, man, that's it. So if you could follow us, whoever's listening, is follow Midday Squares on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Follow our podcast. We have a podcast too called Uncensored. Uh, Midday Squares Uncensored, I think it's called. I'm so, so warehouse right now. But and and find us at Target, Whole Foods, Fresh Market, Wegmans, um, Fresh Time in the refrigerator. Brilliant. Well, this has been a good conversation. Lots of different pieces that we touched on: leadership, uh, accountability, leading outside of fear, um, ap- being unapologetic, etc. Anything that you'd like to close out with, in, in terms of you know what what's next in store for the brand? Anything big? big and forthcoming around what you're doing we're launching a new flavor called cook a cookie dough flavor mm-hmm. super excited and, and the goal is like i said just watch us over the next 10 years build the next hershey's that's really what we're doing and you're on instagram at midday squares is the handle right yeah. okay Everything's, cool. yeah it's always at midday squares and you'll okay. follow the journey you'll see the storytelling as a reality show and um in short short form reality show and yeah, I really got to pee because I drank like two <laughs> water bottles and a coffee during the session. Well, I love you. I appreciate you. Devo will get you the product. And thank you for even having me on the show. It really means a lot. It was an honor. Thanks for having a conversation with me, man. Talk to you soon. I appreciate you. I'll see you, brother. I, I got to exit. Dude, I got to pee so bad. <laughs> We're going to